Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, almost here, around the corner of future technology. And I'm here today with uh, Cullen Hilkeny, uh, CEO of 3Diligent.com, the number 3, D-I-L-I-G-E-N-T.com. And uh, 3Diligent uh, appears to provide software that helps bridge the gap between uh, the 3D printing machines that are out there and the fulfillment companies and the people that want to create um, various 3D objects. Is that accurate, Colin? Yeah, Richard. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. And um, sure. yeah, I think you do a pretty good job of spelling out what we do. Um, although, in addition to software, I'd say we're also a services company. Uh, we describe ourselves a bit like Uber meets Amazon for rapid manufacturing services, in the sense that Amazon networked retailers, Uber networked drivers, we've networked rapid manufacturing service providers across North America. So at 3Diligent.com, you can submit a single request for quote, and then we use an algorithm to analyze that RFQ and along with our team route it to the ideal supply partners for the job across North America. And so with that distributed supply base, we can deliver faster turnarounds and uh, great prices for extremely high quality industrial grade work. Um, and that is primarily built around 3D printing. That's where we grew up, but we also do some CNC machining and urethane casting. Okay, so a big part of the value is that you likely have uh, built up a network of 3D printing fulfillment shops. So uh, when someone comes to you, you could find a home for their use case. You help them figure That's out where exactly to right. Yeah, yeah, you, you nailed it. I mean, I think at the heart of it is that 3D printing is uh, a remarkable technology and a rapidly evolving field. A lot of folks um, might have become accustomed to the notion that maybe 3D printing is is just what you see when you when you've got a MakerBot, uh, but that's actually one of seven major processes uh, for 3D printing and. And every service provider out there has a different set of materials, different set of machines. And so we offer companies a one-stop shop when it comes to getting their parts made fast and to spec. And uh, additionally, we provide them a hedge against obsolescence. You know, they, they could certainly buy printers, take them in-house, but there's a lot of staffing up that comes with that, a lot of obsolescence risk that comes with that. Um, and they could certainly use individual service providers, but those folks they face a lot of the same challenges with respect to the materials and the machines they can carry. And we as a distributed network software driven uh, service provider address a lot of those issues and give folks a partner they can grow with. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the seven types of um, of technology. You start with MakerBot. What, so what are the seven types? Just out of curiosity, I haven't heard anyone uh, talk about it that way. Sure. So MakerBot is uh, a type of extrusion printing. So that's the most fundamental uh, or, or the most commonly known one. It's the process of uh, having a 
filament run through a nozzle which heats it up and extrudes it and that nozzle sitting on a gantry system um, so you know it, it's kind of paint by numbers uh, building up a part one at a time it might remind you of like the claw when you were going to uh, you know a kid's yeah. arcade or something like that and the way it works for those who aren't familiar with what a gantry is um, yep. there are a bunch of others and I'll probably bore you if I try and run you through all of them. Um, folks can certainly visit our website. We've got a great kind of learning section on, at 3diligent.com that has some videos, has some descriptions. Um, the through line being that every single one of these processes takes a digital file, a, a CAD file, feeds it into a printer, and builds a part up layer by layer. Um, extrusion is one. Uh, quickly, another way things are done, take big troughs of powdered metal, move one layer onto a build tray at a time and fuse those particles together with a laser. There are some that behave a lot like inkjet printers, uh, others where uh, particles are jetted out uh, of nozzles and laser and electron beam fuses them on the fly. I mean, I, I could run through them all with you, but I'm not sure that's really what you or your listeners want, uh, seeing as kind of believing. So. Sure. Visiting the website is probably your best answer there. Well, maybe a better way to put it is which technologies tend to, well, which technologies will produce what kind of 3D printed results? Maybe if you tie oh, okay. them that way. So if you're looking for X, yeah. you want this. If you're looking for Y, that, you know. Sure. So um, there's a lot of crossover between different processes. So it, it's not as uh, cut and dry, but... Um, Take, for instance, extrusion. Extrusion uses thermoplastics, um, which, you know, the nature of thermoplastic, you can melt something, and then once it hardens, it, it reconstitutes in the same way. Um, and so thermoplastics tend to be more durable, uh, and extrusion is one of the ways we work with thermoplastics, selective laser sintering, which is that you know, powder uh, that you fuse with a laser is another way that we work with thermoplastics. Uh, when it comes to thermosets uh, or resins, as they're commonly referred to, that's when uh, you know they're they're, they're polymer-based again. But uh, what you do is you've got a liquid vat of something uh, of this resin, and then uh, a it can be photosensitive. So uh, if you put a laser on it or, or UV light, it will cure that material and make it hard. So there are these platforms um, in a bath of that liquid resin that move up and down as uh, patterns are etched on it by light. Or um, the inkjet process I described, um, basically that as that inkjet head is going, it's being the, the resin's being deposited and then cured by UV light on the fly. Um, so the plastics, uh, as I mentioned previously with extrusion SLS, those tend to be more durable parts. The resin ones tend to have better surface finishes, a little tighter tolerance is achievable, uh, more accurate in general. Uh, there are a handful of kind of pure modeling technologies uh, where there's some called sheet lamination, which is a lot like uh, take a whole bunch of copy paper and really print it with color, but laminate and uh, bond the parts together and, and cut a pattern around them as you go. So um, you can create these very realistic looking objects, but they're not for any functional purpose. Um, mm, right. You know, binder jetting is spraying ink on powders and binding things together. And then, uh, 
So, so that's that's a that's a good okay. starting list. I mean, I, I can I can get, dig into more of it too. But as you're seeing, different applications, and you know, there is kind of a class that's purely for modeling. There's a class that's for um, kind of low intensity work, which is the resins. There's middle intensity, which is the plastic base, and then for the heavier duty stuff, you get into uh, the metals and metals. You tend to need to fuse things with lasers or electron beams in powder beds or Right. You can do two-step processes that start resembling casting. Um, well, what are the uh, top requests you're getting? What kinds of products, what kinds of industries, you know, the reality of it, what do you see out there that people know exists and want and are paying for to have made? Yeah, so we do uh, a lot of work for a lot of different industries, but I would say that um, – there are three kind of areas that I, or, or three types of companies that we do a whole lot of work for. The medical device industry is one of those. Um, you know, the whole concept of 3D printing, I guess, to set the stage is that uh, it, it takes extremely complex objects and it makes them a lot easier to make than traditional ways might, or it um, can cut out costs depending on the level of that complexity. So, you know, historically, you might have tried to whittle away a shape uh, to, to create a casting um, or you might have machined uh, a part uh, using a lathe or a mill. Um, with 3D printing, you're taking this file and then building the part from the ground up. So something that would have created a whole lot of scrap if you were to machine it or uh, would have taken a ton of time to create the detail if you were to mold it. Um, right. A lot of that complexity comes free of charge with a 3D printer. Uh, so with that being said, every type of part that we tend to tackle, uh, it's either very complex if you're going to push towards more production runs. So it's just, hey, 3D printing is better at complexity. So uh, so, so that's what makes it best for, for, for complex jobs are the right ones that set themselves up for production runs in 3D printing. Okay. By default right now, prototyping tends to be at the fundamental core of 3D printing because you can do it much faster and more affordably than, than traditional ways. Um, mm. so, so with that context, uh, medical devices that can be very complex, uh, medical implants that have really interesting organic shapes, those are commonly 3D printed. And you might use um, titanium 6.4, for instance, as as uh, a biocompatible metal, um, some of the stainless uh, steel options uh, are also work, like 316 for for implantables. Um, we touch stuff in in like bio inks, uh, aqueous solutions that can be cured uh, that are that are biocompatible, and you can do a multi-step process of, of printing something and uh, stereolithography and then using that to create a mold. Um, that's that's another type of process that we support. Um, well, so but within, kind of, um, yeah. within yeah. medical devices, so are you able to make, for instance, uh, 3D printed pacemakers or, um, you know, hips, artificial hips, or what, what specific things are out there, or is it all too early for any of these uh, implants to be 3D printed? No, no, it's not too early. There are a lot of folks, uh, especially in Europe, walking around with 3D printed hip implants right now. 
Um, what's really wow. cool about 3D printing is that uh, in addition to all the complexity stuff that I was saying comes cheap, what it also allows you to do is create new complexity that would otherwise be impossible or just entirely implausible to make. So what's cool about 3D printed implants is that they can have custom porosity um, baked into them, uh, in the design, sure. which can accelerate bone growth. So that's what's been found in some of the early testing is folks can have implants that are custom built for their own body geometry based on okay. CT MRI scans. But uh, additionally, those implants, not only are they the right size, but they can have this porosity uh, huh. built into the design so that they actually integrate with bodies uh, and accelerate bone growth faster than traditional implants would. So if you have um, an artificial hip, let's say, you know, I don't know, but let's say the hip connects at two points to existing bones in your body, your leg bones and your hip bones, you know, your pelvis. You're saying the ends of it could be porous so that the bone would grow into the implant partially and they're truly integrated into the into the body? Yeah. You wouldn't think about it so much as the at the connection point, uh so it's not gonna grow into the leg bone. I mean it would it would grow into the pelvis bone. Um and okay. become a functional part of the bone that it's supposed to become a part of. Um what I will say huh. is that the kind of governing body over in Europe um Things are a little bit farther along over there than they are in the U.S. The FDA released some guidance uh, back in the fall, some preliminary guidance. And so we should see a meaningful proliferation of implantables uh, in the U.S. markets in the not-too-distant future. But uh, a lot of that innovation is happening overseas. Uh, I mentioned our blog, I think, earlier. Um, there's a pretty cool posting we did a, a while back about a gentleman uh, who, if I'm not mistaken, was Portuguese, and he was a cancer patient. The bones of his rib cage uh, had deteriorated to a point where they decided to uh, create a custom sternum implant with rib bones basically built into it, and they had a successful implement or implantation of that device. So some really cool stuff that's happening uh, in the implant world. But that's really heavily regulated, so you see also a lot of uh, custom implants and um, and surgical guides too, like kind of practice models uh, that uh, different doctors can use. So uh, you might 3D print if, if somebody has cancer and uh, you want your doctor or, or a hospital wants their doctor to have a practice run cutting out uh, cancerous tumors, for instance, they might 3D print um, an organ based on the, uh, the the CT scan, the DICOM data, and say, uh, you know, here, here's my exact replica of what's going to be inside when you go into surgery. Go ahead and get a practice run on this. Um, sure. And there have been some really cool stories about how that's been used to improve patient outcomes. What about um, organs themselves? Is that fantasy still, or you know, where do you see the state of the industry there? Can can a liver be printed? Can uh, you know other organs, or what about an appendage, a finger, a yeah. nose? A, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all it's all happening right now. Um, so as far as livers are concerned, um, Organovo, 
down in San Diego is a really cool company to check out. Um, they have uh, developed um, or they've successfully done bioprinting of liver assays. So not a full-size liver, but uh, basically the, the same cellular composition of livers at a smaller scale. And so uh, where that will ultimately go uh, into true fully functioning livers, uh, I think we'll get there in the not too terribly distant future. But really where folks are kind of focusing now, uh, because there's a whole lot of regulatory challenges and, and whatnot with implanting those, um, what that does solve right now is is creating assays for testing of new drugs. So say that uh, you want to get into uh, rapidly testing for uh, whether a new drug works, you can create the uh, assay samples. Um, certainly as these technologies become more affordable and efficient and whatnot, um, that is, is what should be achievable with uh, 3D printing. So it can help you uh, develop these drugs faster. It also opens the door eventually to uh, kind of uh, patient-specific medicine where right. um, different folks react differently to different drugs. You can find out about that in advance and, and figure out you know, which, which level of dosage, for instance, might be better for one uh, patient versus another. A, a lot of that, like the real kind of cutting edge, um, you know, major, major advancements uh, for, for kind of implantables maybe 10, 15 years away. But, uh, okay. but in the interim, a lot of this, uh, a lot of this sort of stuff can be done to accelerate the uh, kind of vaccine hmm. testing and that sort of stuff. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Um, so again, your your company seems to be a facilitator between the people that have the desire to get rapid prototypes done, you know, these kinds of things, and the actual fulfillment. Where are the frustrations in the market you're seeing that your company fills and fills best or fills well? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, on the customer side, and I I think you're probably hearing it just in uh, the diversity of stuff we've already talked about. Um, different companies have different needs and different timelines for projects. And the practical realities are that no single brick and mortar service provider out there can check every box. Um, unless you're a company that has hyper, hyper niche applications and you always use the same material and the same process always works for you. Um, you're going to want to access different printers, different materials. And you have the choice of bringing those in-house, but that comes with the kind of hard costs of owning these printers, which, you know, printers can cost over a million bucks, and uh, good quality printers typically cost at least tens of thousands. Um, you can do some very small-scale desktop printing, and you can get some pretty decent results on those, especially if you're going for kind of near net form testing. Um, but uh, really, as you graduate to these kind of more professional and industrial pieces of equipment, most companies are going to have a number of different needs. They're not necessarily going to take on all of the human resource challenges of training up somebody to run these machines full time, all the inventory costs of carrying all the machines, and all the obsolescence risk that comes with owning, owning all those machines. 
Um, so yeah. a lot of times they'll say, well, hey, we're not going to carry anything or we're going to carry some desktops to do some basic level stuff. And we'll use service providers to, to close our gaps. And then where we step in is, is a one-stop shop where folks submit a single request for quote because of the way that we've qualified our providers and the way we dynamically source with those providers, we can typically deliver really significant uh, savings without giving any sort of offset in quality. And uh, again, typically a good bit faster than, than folks are used to seeing their parts fulfilled. So um, that's what we're solving on the customer side. On the supplier side, you got some really talented engineers out there who run these machines, have made these investments. Uh, they face a lot of these same obsolescence challenges that the customers are thinking about. And uh, we provide a, a valuable service in routing the right jobs to the people who are true experts at running that type of work. Um, so, you know, there's a net benefit to them uh, as it relates to growing their own businesses. Okay, and you mentioned also uh, software that uh, the Three Diligent has made. What What's the function of the software and what does it uh, help do? Yeah, so the software is the kind of underpinning of our, our web platform. So. Uh, the, the software we have developed um, helps you go through the entire uh, 3D printing process in a seamless fashion end-to-end. -end. So um, a single request for quote form. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, open text fields baked into that, so it's not assuming that you know, check this specific box for this specific material. A, a lot of times when you cross over into 3D printing, the exact same materials you might have used for a cast or molded uh, or molded and cast or a machine part uh, doesn't necessarily exist in the 3D printing world. So you can describe mm. what you're looking for, describe particular material requirements you want, and then uh, with respect to the software we've developed, we can analyze those RFQs that come in um, and, and key on the content you've provided us to ensure that we're utilizing the ideal partners uh, across our qualified supply base to bid the work and deliver the work on time and to spec and ensure that uh, you're a happy camper. Yeah, and what, what industries do you see the biggest need for um, 3D printing and what you do, whether the industry itself knows it or not? Well, uh, what's amazing about 3D printing is that it has uh, incredible applicability to any kind of hardware application. And as we were touching on, too, a lot of kind of non-hardware applications that are, uh, you know, in the medical field that are actually soft uh, goods. But um, what we're really seeing a lot of right now, aerospace was kind of the leader in this market. They've been playing around with 3D printing for a long time because they tend to have pretty small quantities that they run um, and very high-value assets. So especially as it relates to titanium printing, for instance, Aerospace has been leading the way for a long time. And then uh, in the last few years, as uh, more metal capability has come online, the, the, uh, the visibility of 3D printing, the viability of 3D printing, there were a couple big names that just pushed into the space in a meaningful way uh, in GE and HP that just uh, are now going to be doing uh, hardware manufacture of, of 3D printer uh, devices. Um, a lot of folks are saying, wow, we, we really need to use this. There, there's some real application here. And 
And the quality, mm -hmm. frankly, is getting to a place where it's not just a prototyping technology, but into production technology. So people are saying, wow, I've got a lot of inventory spares that I'm sitting on. And wouldn't it be nice if I could free up the space that we use to store all of them? Uh, and for that matter, get rid of uh, stopping a production line to once in a blue moon print a whole bunch of new spares that are going to sit on a shelf a lot of times. They can just print those on demand. Um, right. And so uh, really anybody who's prototyping, 3D printing has been great for them for a long time. People who are doing really high complexity parts or are recognizing opportunities for higher complexity parts um, to, to deliver just higher quality outcomes, uh, medical device being really, medical device and implant being one of the very obvious areas there. Um, that's a play for production runs. People who want to create custom tools for anything that they want to do on a shop floor, for instance, uh, custom tooling is a, a tremendous application for 3D printing. And then I mentioned the spare parts. If you've got a whole lot of long tail inventory and mm -hmm. um, then 3D printing is a good way to, uh, relieve yourself of that, uh, depending on what sort of inventory it is that you're carrying. And by that, I mean what, what about, material it is and where it's cost effective. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Um, before we started chatting, you mentioned a series, uh, cable or TV or Netflix series called Westworld, which I haven't watched, but, but you said is, uh, talks about 3d printing a lot. Um, how do you feel the you know what you do or the industry ties into what's represented in the show Westworld as being real or not? What are they showing? Is it fantasy? Is it real? You know, is it influencing what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's funny you should say that. We just just put up a blog post about 3D printing in Westworld, and I'll hit on uh, the premise here. And folks who want to dig in, uh, check that out. But um, in Westworld, they basically showed two processes uh, that have underpinnings in the current 3D printing technologies um, that are basically used to print androids that look and feel just like real humans, right? So um, one of those processes is extrusion. It's just uh, like we were describing earlier, uh, a uh, robotic arm that is extruding material to build up uh, organic life, non-organic or inorganic life, I should say, you know, it's uh, inorganic objects. So piano strings and guns, as well as muscle and, and skin tissue. Um, and then, uh, and then there's a big vat that these bodies are dunked into uh, when the extrusion process is done, which, looks a little bit like uh, the VAT photopolymerization process I was describing previously, uh, where resin gets cured on the fly. So, you know, as it sits right now, uh, the way that some of the underlying ways to make, they, they refer to these androids on the show as hosts, like the way that you would make a host would not be just to use those two processes, but a whole bunch of other ones, and they could all roll up into... Uh, into uh, these these androids. So um, with respect to that, and, and I can dig into each of the elements, but um, you know, it's probably 10 to 20 years really before all the different technologies have advanced far enough to build something like a host or have each of them be advanced to the point where they could do some of the underlying things that the hosts on this show must 
be able to do. But uh, but having it all roll into a single printer, uh, <laughs> that that's pretty low probability. I mean that that's uh, much farther than 15 years away, uh, if ever, because you're really kind of at least the way it's depicted looks a lot like you're uh, you're getting into you know atomic physics to change one material to another material, and and that that isn't something that's being pushed on too far right now. Well, that's like from Star Trek, The Next Generation, the replicator, you know, the Catherine Picard would say, tea or gray hot, and the thing would just make him the mug and the tea and everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's the molecular composition. That's not where stuff sits right now. The way 3D printers all kind of fundamentally work is it's it's input-output. You, you put a certain material into the machine, and then the machine does stuff to it, and then mm. that changes the shape of the stuff. Uh, but that's about it. So, uh, you know, when it comes to bioprinting, uh, there are printers out there that are printing out these uh, aqueous solutions, these, these biogels that um, contain cells. And those cells can be... Um, applied to biocompatible grafts, and that can uh, accelerate, accelerate cellular growth inside a body. So it, it's not like you can't create this flesh. Um, out of Wake Forest, there, there's actually um, uh, a professor out there who's uh, printing skin to help burn victims. I mean, it, it is sure. happening. But uh, the, um, the extent to which it's commercialized and the extent to which it's all bundled into a single printer is really where it, it starts looking a lot more like science fiction than uh, right. the okay. science fact of uh, the next couple of decades. Yeah, last few questions. What about um, people at home? You know, some people have said, oh, a 3D printer in every house and you're going to be able to make all kinds of stuff and not buy it anymore from stores. What do you think is realistic versus not for people and, you know, just, ordinary folks in their houses, consumers? Yeah, I was never a, a big, big believer in the consumer printing thing. And, and 3 Diligence always been focused on kind of professional industrial applications from the beginning. For uh, some of the reasons we just chatted about a second ago uh, with respect to Westworld, the realities of 3D printers right now is that it's input-output. So... If you want to have more than ABS plastic goods in your house, you're going to need to stock different materials. You're going to need to have a willingness to load that material into a machine. And then you're going to want to print those things on demand. And the realities are that 3D printing and building objects one at a time is never going to be as cost-effective uh, for those sorts of things that really don't need to be customized or really don't have a ton of complexity. So say, for instance, the fork. You know, like say you, you, you're you eating dinner and you realize you got all dirty forks and uh, you say, hey, I, I want a fork for my dinner. Well, you could print it out, but the underlying cost of that plastic um, and the fact that you're going to probably need to do a little, you know, removal of supports and all this stuff, it makes you say, well, really, do I want to do that? Or do I just want to drive down to the store where I can buy 10 forks that use an injection molding process and does those forks for, you know, a few pennies each rather than 
the kind of combined cost of the printer that's in my uh, house and the plastic that went into it and the energy that it takes to run it, it just all adds up and says, you know, for a lot of these very conventional geometries that you don't need customization for, you're probably not going to 3D print it in your house. Okay. I'll go one step further, too, to say that uh, <laughs> if and when you, these, the, the process towards this becoming more cost-effective, services like ours um, that have networked a lot of folks who have uh, more highly utilized pieces of equipment are, are going to make it easier for you to get those sorts of parts on demand. You know, we might be able to print something for you at one of our locations, and then, you know, a few years down the road, you probably have a drone that picks it up and drops it off. Uh, and so it, uh, okay. uh, it kind of eliminates a lot of the need for you to even carry something in-house. Uh, gotcha. so, so, so that's my two cents on that. It may get there. I think, you know, the nature of things is that prices have to come down. A lot more people will have them in-house, but... You know, the, the printer in every single home, uh, I certainly don't see it in the very near future, and I, I frankly have a hard time seeing it for a lot of folks that aren't predisposed towards do-it-yourself. Um, mm, really, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so I guess the last question or two. Um, for listeners that could use your services, they need help with uh, figuring out how to get their 3D printing uh, project done, uh, what's the best way to contact your company and to learn more about whether their project would would work with 3D printing and how it might work? Yeah, well, first thing, uh, absolutely visit the website, 3Diligent.com. Uh, we've got a great learning section, which we'll describe to you a lot of different processes. And hopefully we did a pretty good job of um, providing some good content there that helps give you a baseline. And uh, and then I encourage you to reach out. Send us an email at info at 3diligent.com. We'd love to hear about your project and uh, let you know if it's a good fit for what we do. Uh, we do a lot of stuff, so there's a good chance that uh, we can take care of it for you. And uh, it's very simple to sign up for an account uh, on the 3diligent.com website uh, and submit RFQs. Uh, you might take a second to look at the different services we offer uh, to identify which service is going to be the best to support your particular project. But again, if right. you shoot us an email, give us a call, we'd be happy to chat with you and steer you to the right place. Okay, very good. Yeah, I appreciate your time. It's been a, a good interview, and I think we covered a lot of ground, but it'll be useful for people that want um, whatever piece of it that's most important to them. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no, Richard, it's my pleasure. Uh, it, it's uh, it's complex and it's challenging and it's rapidly evolving. And so I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you a bit about uh, 3D printing, uh, which obviously we're really fired up about, and uh, 3 Diligent in particular and the solution we provide to folks who would rather not deal with uh, a lot of the inherent challenges of staying on the leading edges of, of this technology. Um, thank you again. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.